Good morning, New Hope. Christmas is coming. How many are ready? (laughs) I know the feeling. I was going to call this sermon series, I've just got two in a mini-series before Christmas. And actually, you think, well, how is this tied to Christmas? Well, this is the reason why Jesus came. I was going to call it, you're dead, so now what? (laughs) But then there was possibly the most uh, positive way to start it. (laughs) But nevertheless, everybody that I talk to wants to know what's going to happen after you die. You may have had some friends at work that have asked that question. So I'm going to do a mini-series, two weeks, on heaven and hell. Now the fact is this, nothing that you see will last forever. Your car that you drove here today, how many know that's not going to last forever? Mine ain't. Your house that you spend so much time, effort and energy on. This hall, this body, is not going to last forever. In fact, everything that is material will not last. Anything that is material will not last. Now in 2 Corinthians 4.16, check it out on the screen, or if you've got your Bible, follow it along with your Bible. I want to read some, a portion of scripture. We never give up. Our bodies are gradually dying. Does anybody want to give a testimony to that? Oh, my back. (laughs) Okay? But we ourselves are being made stronger each day. These little troubles, these aches, pains, and dramas, and inconveniences, are getting us ready for, for what? For an eternal glory that will make all our troubles seem as nothing. Things that are seen don't last forever. Just mention that. But things that are not seen are eternal. That's why we keep our minds on things that cannot be seen. There's a problem if you're focused on the stuff that you can see all the time. Carrying on in 2 Corinthians 1 through 10. Our bodies are like tents. You know those things that you sometimes put up? Very temporary. That we live in here on earth. So it's just saying some are big tents, some are small tents, some are pup tents, whatever it may be. But when these tents are destroyed, speaking of our bodies, we know that God will give each of us a place to live. These homes will not be buildings that somebody has made. But they're in heaven. This is the part that I like. That will last forever. These tents we now live in are like a heavy burden and we groan. My neck. Oh, I feel sick. But we don't just do this because we want to leave these bodies that will die. It's because we want to have them changed for bodies that will never die. God is the one who makes all of this possible. He has given us a spirit to make certain that he will do it like a down payment, like a deposit. So always be cheerful. And I think that's the word of God that's come through in about four Of my own personal devotions lately. So always be cheerful. Because let me tell you, when I look at the things around me, I get mad and sad. But when I look at God and the things that are eternal, I get glad, I get cheerful. I don't know whether that's for you, but it is for me. So always be cheerful. As long as we're in these bodies, we're away from the Lord. Uh, But we live by faith, not by what we see. 
But we should be cheerful. He's going after the game. Because we would rather leave these bodies and be at home with the Lord. But whether we're at home with the Lord or away from him, we'll still try our best to please him. After all, Christ will judge us, each of us, for the good and the bad that we do while we're living in these bodies. So, a couple of things I want to just draw from that. Just one very obvious point to underline before we move into this. Spiritual realities are far more real than these mere temporal physical things. And we need to focus on the eternal, not the temporal. On the long-term gain, not the short-term pain. And most of you figure that out already in your life, and you teach your children to do that. And God's wanting us to get with it on that one as well. So five quick, brief realities of life. Number one, God made you to love you, and he wants you to love him back. That is one of the eternal realities. Because you were made by God, and you were made for God to love you. And we've seen that before. In Jeremiah 31.3, it says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. It's not fickle, not there one day, not gone the next. With an unfailing love. His love never fails. Many of you here have experienced love that does fail. And I'm really sorry for that. But I want to juxtapose that type of love with God's love, which never fails. And I have drawn you to myself. And that's what God's doing to some of you in this room today. So he says there that he loves you, and then he wants you to love him back. We know this from Luke 10. Love the Lord the God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So that's a great commandment, and it's all about love. So God says, I made you to love you, and I want to learn you to learn to love me back. That's the first reality of life. If you miss that, it's a problem. Number two, you are made by God to last forever. Everybody is made by God to last forever. One day, your heart is going to stop. And that's going to be the end of this thing called we are a body. That you've been, that tent that you've been in whilst you're on earth. But it is certainly not going to be the end of you. Because you were made in God's image to last forever. And every human being will last forever in one of two places heaven or hell. In fact, the Bible says this He has planted eternity in the hearts of men. Two, God, three, God has prepared, prepared two eternal places, heaven and hell. They are real places. There's a whole parable on that. We haven't got a chance to go into that today. This is a summary and an overview. And Jesus said in John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house, speaking of Father God, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be also where I am that happens in family you live with family and you bring them into your home God wants you to be there with him heaven is a place where God dwells and by the way just a quick Touch and point on this one. God is everywhere apart from in hell. 
The Bible tells us a lot about heaven, and we're going to look at that next week. But this world that you and I live in today is only a temporary place. And I've said many times before from this platform that life is a test, life is a trust, and life is a what? A temporary assignment. You only get to do this for a very short period of time. You are never meant to live on this earth forever. And I'm real glad about that because you know what? Even though we live in New Zealand, I don't have to look far to see sickness, sorrow, suffering, and sin. I don't have to look far. doesn't matter which world. No world is excluded from the effects of sin. Now, the Bible says this in Matthew 25, 41. So heaven's prepared for us. But I want you to look at the other side of this. Jesus said, Then he, God, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you know that hell was not prepared for human beings? Hell was originally designed for Satan and his angels, the demons, who rebelled against God. That separation from God. So on one hand, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, but Jesus said, on the other hand, I go to prepare a place for you, and that's called heaven, two separate places. But hell was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, did you get that? Anyone else who wants to rebel, and they are free to choose. You are free to choose. I'm free to choose. Free to choose to rebel against God just like Satan and the demons and, the, and those fallen angels did. They get to go to the same place. Now, it was originally planned as punishment for Satan and his angels because evil is contagious. And it needs to be quarantined. Fourth reality. Please listen carefully to this one. You choose where you will spend eternity. Your choice. God does not send you, he certainly doesn't send good people to, um, to hell because there aren't any good people. But you get to make the choice. It's like these two doors on my screen. Can you just flick the next slide up? Yeah, these two doors. The first one, it's your choice, remember. One is Jesus is the way, and the second one is, no, nah, don't want that. I want to go through the other door. My way. That's your choice. It's entirely your choice. It's the same kind of choice that God gave the Israel in the Old Testament. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. By the way, that's a good point. By the time most Jewish kids were 13 years old, they had totally memorized the first five books of the Bible. How's that for a challenge for us? They took it very seriously. Let's pick it up. Deuteronomy here. Today I'm giving you the choice between blessing and curse. You'll be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God. Or you'll receive a curse if you reject me, rebel against me, and going to say, I'm going to be my own God. And my commands. But the point is there. Notice those words at the top. It is your choice. Another verse from Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 and 19. See I have set before you today life and good or death and evil. Your choice. There's a choice. I've set it before you. You choose. And he says again. If 
And that's a conditional statement, obviously. If you obey my commands by loving the Lord your God, the most important command, and by walking in his ways, then you will live and multiply and I will bless you. But if, second choice, you turn your hearts away from me and worship other things, well, why would anybody worship any other thing but God? I'll tell you why, because we want to. Some people, you can worship your car. You can worship your career. Get what that means, let me be clear, ascribing worship to it so much so that it's number one in your life. You can worship status. I'll do anything, climb over anybody to get to that position. Or sex, or salary, or anything else, sin. You can, you can worship possessions. You could give your entire life to possessions. That's your choice. God says that's foolish. Or to chasing popularity and prestige. And why does that happen? Because inbuilt in every single person on the planet is a desire to worship something. If not God, you will find something else. If you don't worship the true God, you will choose something else to give your life to and to worship. And that the Bible calls is a false God, and that's an idol. Then it carries on. But he says, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear and you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, give your life to them, you will surely perish. Couldn't be clearer. Therefore, choose life that you may live. Same principle today. Now let's suppose, let's personalize this a little. Let's suppose that you were a drug addict living in Cairo. And your life is falling apart because of your habits and your repeated patterns of behavior. You're hopelessly addicted, in this case, to drugs. Could be possessions, could be salary, could be position, whatever. But your life is out of control. And then let's say I come by on that Cairo and I feel pity for you. I know how that feels with my brother Pat. I feel love towards you and say, here's what I'm going to do. Where you are now is a mess, but I've got a plan. I'm going to pick you up, stick you in the back of my motorbike, and I'm going to take you home. I'm going to get you cleaned up, I'm going to give you a new set of clothes, and I'll let you live in my house. And you know what? You can become part of my family because you're in my house. And in fact, I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to adopt you into my family, and I'm going to give you the Buckley name. And on top of that... Because I love you, I'm going to clean up the mess that you've left before all those debts. Because you spent all that money on drugs that you didn't have. And I'm simply doing this because I love you. Now, imagine that was a situation. Got that in your mind? So then, I've got a question for you. Would it be reasonable for me to expect you to abide by my house rules? when you're living in my house. Would that be reasonable? Yeah. If you're going to live here and have access to all these free privileges and resources, I would probably say, which I have said to my brother before, in his early days, the number one rule is no drugs in this house. You've got to choose between me and the situation I give you or your former love, these drugs. Now, it would not be, I want to suggest to you, unreasonable for me to have some house rules, right? But 
if I brought you into my house and you said to me, man, you know, it's kind of okay in there and really good and thanks for doing all that, but those drugs are far more important to me than being in your family. Thanks for the offer, but no thanks. I'm going to go back to K-Ray because I love my drugs. I want those drugs more. Now, would that be my fault? No. If you made that choice, could you blame me for being unloving when I provided all this and the option for you? Now, apply that same logic to heaven. Because I sometimes hear people, how could a loving God send people to hell? God does not send people to hell. You choose. It's like there are two doors in eternity. One that goes to heaven says, you come to Jesus and the house rules rule. He's already paid for your ticket for him. There's not a thing you can do to add to that. It's all done. He's already forgiven you. All you've got to do is accept it. Accept what he's done. It is a free gift of grace to you. Now, if you want to go through the other door, you just do your own other thing because the Bible says there is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ and his blood. If you say, I'm going to be my own God, I am going to save myself, well, guess what? You're on your own. That is a mighty big risk. I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life, telling me what's right and what's wrong. I don't want that. I want my way. See that door there on the left? I want to run my own life. Now, if I choose to walk out that door, I certainly cannot blame God. Because he's paid for it all. Now, God's provided a very clear roadmap. Next slide. A very clear roadmap to get to his house. If you do not choose to follow his directions and go the way that you think, that, and what you're really saying is, God, I know you've done this, but I think I know better than you. Because the way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and him alone. If I reject that condition for entering heaven, can I blame God? Not at all. If, if I say, I don't want to go to heaven on your terms, God, I want to go to heaven on my terms. Well, that's your choice. But I'd say to you, where's your authority for making that kind of life-changing decision? Where's the evidence for that life-changing decision coming from? Can I blame God if I want to walk out that door that says my way rather than I am the way? The Bible's clear. If you want to come to heaven, you come my way. The fifth reality is this. And please be clear on this one. There is no second choice. And second chance after you die. Lawyers would call this posthumous. I can't walk out that door on my way and then say, whoa, I don't like this. There's a whole parable about that. You may recall it. I want to go back. There is no halfway house between heaven and hell. There is no such thing as purgatory. Doesn't exist. Find it in the Bible. Not there. Jesus never taught it. It came in as some weird aberration to Orthodox Christianity in the Middle Ages. You know what? Even the Catholics don't subscribe to that anymore. 
The newest catechism, check it out, from the Catholic Church, the word purgatory is not even in there anymore. Gone, gone burger. Why? Because it's not in the Bible. So when you die, you'll either go to heaven or you go to hell. And the Bible says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's for Christians. On the other hand, the Bible also says, those on the left, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, notice a contrast, into eternal life. So the reality is there are two places. So, friends, this is so important. We're talking today about your eternal destiny. So I want you to listen as if your life depended upon it because it does. A recent statistic I read shows that death is 100% certain. And after you happen, two things die. After you die, two things happen. Number one, after death, the soul and the body are separated. The soul and the body. Now, for some of you here today who are thinking about this, I'm thinking, well, how do I even know there's a soul? Well, number one, you look at the research of most neuroscientists. They know it's not just all material. They know that something, there's a lot going on in there that we don't know. If you'd like a paper on that or a book on that, write me a communication card. I'll send you a couple of links on the existence of the soul. So number one, the moment you die, like when mum passed away, Her soul left her body. And number two, the second thing that will happen is you and I will face a judgment. Let's read about this. Hebrews 9, 27. Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face what? The judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear the second... Now notice... That's what he did when he came. He came to take away the sin. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But this is not the case on round two. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin like he did the first time, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Friend, I am not guaranteed tomorrow, let alone next week, next month. And neither are you. So I challenge you, logically, why would you put off something, thinking about something, and preparing for something that you know is certain? You're going to die. Your spirit's going to separate from your body. And then you've got one of two destinies. It's clear and simple. Because Jesus made it clear and simple. Because he's the only one that's ever come back from there. Now next week we're going to talk about heaven. But I want to wrap this up today by asking and answering four questions. Why does hell exist? What is it like there? How do I avoid it? And that's an important one. And fourth, what do I do once I know of all of this? Number one, why does hell exist? Hell exists because evil and sin exist. Hell exists for the same reason that jails exist. You have to punish people who sin and do evil. A capital crime deserves a capital punishment. An eternal crime against an eternal God deserves eternal punishment. So it's a matter of God's justice. And everybody in this room wants justice. Trouble is we don't get it on earth. The reality is human beings are basically selfish people. And the problem with humanity, doesn't matter where you are, in which country, tribe, or village, we all have an I problem. An I problem. 
The middle letter of the word sin is I. The middle letter of the word pride is I. I don't want God telling me how to live my life. I want what I want when I want it. That's called sin. And clearly sin and evil are in the world. Now when God sees all the sin and evil in the world, all the things that are bad and evil, it breaks God's heart. Do you know that God could have eliminated all the evil in the world? All he had to do was one thing. You know what that was? Eliminate free will. Free choice. Yours and mine. Every day we make dumb decisions. And there is divorce. There is death and disease and dishonesty and desertion and betrayal. And God could get rid of it all if he took away our freedom of choice. Why does God give us then free will? Because he wants you to choose to love him, not to be forced to love him, because forced love is not love. You cannot be forced to love anybody. You can woo them. You can try and persuade them and date them. You can do everything in your power except for temper with their free will. Because they are free beings. So there's a hell because God is just and must punish sin. And there's a hell because he is loving and he can't force anybody into heaven. And that raises an important problem. And here's what it sounds like. Heaven is perfect. And that means that only perfect people can go there. If God let imperfect people into heaven with all of their selfishness and their sin and sorrow and sickness, then it will be just like earth. This is a very different dimension. So God allows sin on earth simply though that you have a choice. You have a choice to love him or to reject him. He gave you that. But he does not allow any sin in heaven. Because heaven is a perfect place. And that right there is a problem. Because I am not perfect. The Pope isn't perfect. Billy Graham isn't perfect. And you and I are not perfect. Number two. Why does hell exist? Because God is holy and just. And God's justice demands it. He can't just wink at sin. He's holy. That means he's perfect. And he's just. And the Bible says that one day he's going to balance the books. I don't know about you, but have you noticed in this life that life isn't fair? What, for example, I mean, you haven't been born in Darfur. And people do bad things and they get away with it. The justice system is often a lottery, depending upon the judge you get on earth. Um, that irks us, right? When we see somebody who's done something bad and they get off with a wet slap on the wrist. This week I was with a particular individual who looks after the sexual abuse in the whole of South Auckland. Let me tell you, justice is not always done and that makes my blood boil. One day, thank God, that will be done. That's good news to me. And people who do good things don't often get rewarded or appreciated from that here. And people get away with literally murder down on here. Life is not fair. 
You start off thinking this, and that's because God's put in your heart the conscious that, yes, it should be. That's right, but sin has corrupted it. David said here in Psalm 27, verse 13, which is a great encouragement to me, I would have despaired if I hadn't believed in the goodness of God. In other words, that God's going to sort this out eventually. In other words, if I looked at the here and now, life is not fair. But God says, one day I'm going to settle the score. It says, for the Lord is coming to judge the earth, and he will judge the nations fairly and with truth. There's no shading the truth with God because his knowledge is perfect. He's got all the facts. And then the Bible says this in 2 Thessalonians 1, God will do what is right. God is a righteous God. And that just means he always does what is right, not like you and I. And you will bring suffering on those who make you suffer. And I go, yay God, you're going to sort this. For that jerk that left you, who didn't live up to his marriage vows. A vow is a vow is a vow is a vow. We talk a lot about too much divorce. Men and women, stick to your vows. Love is often being prepared to be unhappy for a while until you work it out. Your vow is before God. I was talking to somebody this week and even though one party may be unfaithful, God would say, I am faithful to you. Even though you're unfaithful to me, I will be faithful to you. That takes divine strength. Carrying on. He will do this when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven to what? To punish those who reject God. Who say, I'm going to be my own God. Don't need you. I'm going to run my own life. Don't need your advice, God. Who are you to tell me what I should do? That's what they say. I'm going to go my own way through my door. So he's going to punish those who do not obey the good news about the Lord Jesus because there's no other way. And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Separated from the presence, notice this verse, separated from the presence of the Lord. So they will still be living and conscious. There's a whole parable about that. Now notice that last phrase, separated from the presence of the Lord. That is the number one characteristic of hell. We haven't got time to go into all the others. But if you want a really good, in-depth, um, recommended book on this subject, the great, who was an atheist, became an incredible um, uh, defender of the Christian faith. The great C.S. Lewis wrote a book. And the name of that book was The Great Divorce. It's all about hell. It is the, one of the best treatments I've ever seen on hell. And hell, the one number one characteristic of it is complete separation from God. Total separation. People don't realize how bad it is because we have the Lord's presence still here on earth. So why does hell exist? Because sin and evil exist. And secondly, because God is holy and he is just. Jesus actually talked more about hell than he did of heaven. So number two, what is hell like? I've just hinted at that. Total separation from God. That is what hell is like. I don't want anybody to go there. And neither did Jesus. He says, I am willing that none should perish. But remember he will not force you. Remember those days at high school? My son, 
good-looking chick, if you're a guy, was looking at you. And you go, well, uh, well, actually, maybe she was, maybe she wasn't, but whatever, you weren't interested. And every time you saw her, you kind of went the other way, you avoided her. Do you remember that? Or vice versa? You didn't want to engage the situation? Well, imagine if you said to that girl, hey, listen, you know, I, I really feel like something special for you, and I love you. And she goes, well, that's good, but I just want to remain as friends. And you know, when she says that, you should, if you're smart, you should give up. <laughs> she ain't interested. But imagine if, again, the next week you come up to her and you see her again, and you say, look, I'll do anything. And she says, look, you know, I told you, I'm happy as friends, but I don't want to take any further. Now, third week comes along. Imagine I say to that girl, listen, I, if I tried to force myself upon her, would that be loving? Of course not. And God is love. He will never force anybody. That's your choice. Jesus doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's why he died on the cross. Now, the Bible describes hell as a place of torment. The worst part of hell is its total separation from God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be separated from God or lost forever. Wow! Parents, this is super important. Maybe it will encourage you to elevate the consequences, the costs of our choices. Every choice has a consequence. You are free to make the choice. You are not free to choose the consequences. I tell my kids that all the time. Hell is like a great divorce, an eternal separation. And if I go through my entire life saying, God, I, I don't want to know you. I don't want to be with you. Why in the world would I logically want to spend eternity with him? It's like me, uh, like that girl, wanting, you know, it just doesn't work. I don't want it on earth, so I'm not going to want it for eternity for sure. Those who decide not to be with him must be allowed to separate from him. So what is hell like? Think about this. If it's total separation from God, then it's the exact opposite to what God is. And we know that God is love, right? And that's his nature. God is love. What would be like? What would it be like to live completely without God's love? It means there is no love. So with God, there's love. Without God on the other side, on the other side, it's terrifying and lonely. And it would gnaw at you. And this is why the Bible talks about the gnashing of teeth. Deep regret for not acting on the light that you were given. And the next one is, you know, with God there's peace. But in hell there's anguish and regret and torment. With God there's good. In hell there's absolutely nothing good. With God there is life. He is a source of life. And in hell it's eternal death. And death in that sense, and you see in the scripture, that can be made two different words, this... That is eternal separation from God. Cut off from the source of life. With God, there's graciousness. In hell, there is no grace. There is no party in hell, guys. So how do you avoid hell? Is there a way for me to absolutely know for certain I'm going to heaven? And this relates to point number three. 
How do I settle my eternal destiny? Now, if you're there, friends, and you're really clear about this, perhaps take this as an opportunity to refresh your mind and take some notes so that you can share with some of your friends because this is so important. The Bible tells us how to do it. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, not guess, not hope, not wonder, that you may know with settled, absolute knowledge. I like that. That you already have life, yes, eternal life. Now when we finish this today, we're going to pray a prayer and I want everybody to pray that. So that here, everybody knows for sure that you're going to heaven. Because God has paid for everything you possibly need for that ticket. God has given us, as it is here, eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Couldn't be clearer. It's very clear that the cross is the answer to my problem and yours. It says this, at one time you were separated from God. You were his enemies in your minds, and the evil things you did were against God. In other words, effectively said, God, I'm going to run my own life. I'm going to do it this way. Nobody's got the right to tell me what to do. Just like Satan rebelled. Don't want that. But now God has made you his friends. And he did this through Christ's death and body so that he might bring you into God's presence. That's the only way you're going to get there. And what is God's presence in heaven? And when he brings you in there, what will be your status? It says this, you'll be brought into God's presence as a people who are holy, having done no wrong, and with nothing of which God can judge you guilty. The only way that can happen is if you've been covered with the blood of Jesus, the cloak of righteousness, and he wipes the slate clean. Now, one of his last verses is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. But I just rearranged it a different way. From John 3.16. Notice what this verse says. God so loved the world. That's everybody in it. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. And as you've noticed it's a great way to just remember the acronym gospel. What does the word gospel mean? It's the old English word for good news. Euangelion in the Greek. Now let me summarize what this verse teaches in the last four words. A, B, C, D. Again, listen carefully. This is how you walk to the door named Jesus and get into heaven. A, B, C, D. A, admit I need a savior to get to heaven. I can't save myself in other words. The first thing I do is admit it. In all of my life, I've only come across a few people that have said, nah, I think I can do it. Most people admit they're a sinner and they can't get there by themselves. That just means that they're not perfect. If they think they are perfect, they've got other issues going on. (laughs) Heaven's perfect and I'm not. I admit it, I made mistakes, I've sinned. We just admit it. We own up. And that's easy for most folks, but tough for some. That is, by the way, the one thing that will keep you absolutely out of the kingdom of heaven. Your ego. 
or your pride, your unwillingness to say humbly, God, I need you in my life. We need to acknowledge it. I can't be good enough to get into heaven on my own merits to meet God's perfect standard because perfection is unattainable for me. That's unattainable, but you provide a way to meet that through Jesus. There's a way there. B, I believe Jesus died for me. Believe that means more than just head knowledge. Please be careful about that one. Believe means more than just head knowledge. No serious historian doubts. Jesus came, Jesus had disciples, he was born, you know, died on the cross. Disciples are radically changed afterwards. Nobody. So it's not just about head knowledge. It means to trust in, to rely on, to surrender to, I commit myself to him. Romans 10.9, a classic verse. For, I would commend to every Christian to commit to memory. Romans 10.9, for if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Lord is an old English word. That just came from some of the translations. It just means the guy that's in control, the boss, the chairman of the board. C, commit myself completely to him. I say, Lord, think about that. For those of you who are inquiring, if there is a God, why wouldn't I want to get to know him? Why wouldn't I want his plan for my life? Because he's clearly much smarter than me. I want to live for your purposes. I want to put you, I want to do what you put me on earth to do. Not my purposes anymore. I'm going to go God's way. Now that commitment you need to do publicly. Public commitment to Jesus Christ. How about before I got married to my wife, I said, Honey, I love you. And let's get married, but I don't want to tell anybody about it. I don't know where we're a wedding ring. And she'd go, what's up with that buster? That's no commitment at all. Are you ashamed of me or something? Why won't you tell anybody about me? Why are you keeping this on the QT? Friends, a private commitment is no, private, is no commitment at all. You've got to make it public. To stand up in front of people, because I remember that day I stood up in front of about 200 odd people. And I committed and I wore a ring. As a symbol of that commitment. That's an outward symbol of an inward commitment. Now Jesus said it this way. Notice this verse. If anyone acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will openly acknowledge that person before my Father, which is in heaven. But if anybody denies me here on earth, I'm not married. I will deny that person before my Father in heaven. One of the big public commitments you can make as a Christian is to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting on? The pool is warm. (laughs) And we are scheduling a baptism next Sunday after church, immediately. For if you'd like to be baptized, we'll do a pre-baptismal class out here next Sunday morning. And then you can get baptized next week. Another way you can stand up publicly is joining God's family. 
joining his church. Now, there are many good churches. We're all on the same team. And if not New Hope, choose another one. But one day he's going to say, well, hang on, you said that you love me, but you, you didn't join my family. What's going on there? And if you've, if, you've, if you've joined New Hope and you haven't taken our membership class here at 101, you need to take that 101. Put 101 on your card. Don't put it off longer. So baptism and being part of a church. Now that doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Like this ring does not save me. It's an outward symbol of an inward commitment. Actually, I've lost one ring already. Water skiing. <laughs> there it went in the middle of the briny. I had to replace it, but when I lost it, I didn't get unmarried, right? It's an outward symbol of an inward commitment. And then lastly, D, depend upon God's promise. When I depend upon God's promise, what promise? The last part of John 3.16, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One last thing on your outline. Having heard all of this, what is my responsibility? What do I own in this? After I step across the line, my responsibility is to tell others about the good news that Jesus has already accomplished so that we don't have to go to hell and be separated from him, but we can go to heaven. I don't want to be in a place totally separated from God's love. The Bible says two things. If I announce... That some wicked people are sure to die. Has God announced that? Has God announced that in the scriptures? Absolutely he has. If I, God speaking, announce that wicked people are sure to die. Notice this next part. And you fail to warn them about changing their ways. Then they will surely die in their sins. But I will hold you responsible for their deaths. There is a serious commitment to sharing the good news I fear the general Christian church has lost. God holds you and me. He holds me responsible for my neighbors. And you respons- you're not responsible for my neighbors, and I'm not responsible for yours. Today we're having all of them over. Not that I'm going to preach the gospel to them. I'm just going to get to know them. Because I'm embarrassed to say that one of my neighbours, who I've only met once, has been down the bottom 12 months. And I didn't even know that. So I'm going to do something. But we need to think outside the thing, outside the square. That's why we talk about sharing the good news with people. Look at this next verse. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but... How can they call on him unless they believe in him? Good point. And how can they believe in him unless they've never heard of him? Well, that's a good point. And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will somebody uh, go tell them without being seen? In other words, unless I go to my neighbor, unless I speak to my work colleague, who else are we expecting to do this? Somebody else is going to do this. This is why we do what we do at New Hope. This is why people this morning were setting up signs. This is why they came in and set up this church for you. We do it because we want to provide a place where you can bring your friends. Bring them in your own home first, by all means. This is a secondary place. But they're not going to come here unless you've had them in your own home, probably. Or you've had some connection with them. 
So whether it be squash or tennis or whatever else you do. See, God never made a person that he didn't love and he didn't die for. Those include those people at your work. He never made a person he didn't want in heaven. That's good news, but how can they know unless you tell them? As long as there's one person needing Christ, you and I need to keep reaching the out at the front burner. And effectively, the church that ever gets to the stage where we don't want to do that is literally saying to their friends and their neighbors, you can be separated from God forever in hell. A person that never tells their family. And boy, that's going to create some friction sometimes. But don't be surprised about that. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. Not missing. But man, sometimes you're going to get upset with some of your, some of your family members are going to get upset with you. Because you won't let it go. Now you have to, you need to do something with gentleness and respect. Remember one thing, I want to leave you with this one thought. You will never hammer somebody into the kingdom. Did you hear that? You can woo them. And sometimes it's not, don't try and close the deal all in one go. But start conversations with people that don't know Jesus. My question to you is, is anybody going to be in heaven? Because of you. And I'm going to challenge you with one last question and request. Will you? Will you do what, Ian? Will you commit to at least invite somebody next week when I talk about heaven? Heaven next week. What could be more important? Let's bow and pray. I want to pray a prayer of blessing on every one of you here. Lord, would you bless those here? Would you bless their families? Bless them mentally, emotionally, physically, socially. Open up doors, Father, for them to share even a cup of coffee. Bless their character. Bless their careers. Bless their loved ones. Bless their future. Maybe they, maybe, may they, Lord, be blessed to be a blessing. May we be generous with our words, generous with our time, our talent and money, as we use it to bring people into your family. I pray, Father, a blessing on each one. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Father, if those here today that do not know you, I pray that they would ask you today to be their Lord and Savior, that they would admit their sin, they would confess their sin, and acknowledge that there's no way they can meet your perfect standard without the sacrifice that Jesus came to pay him full for them. I pray today your Holy Spirit would draw them and that, Lord, you would woo them and they would choose to say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life today. I want to spend the rest of my life here and the rest of my life in eternity 
with you. If that's you today, I pray that you would let me know about that on that communication card. That we can pray for you and send you some information to help you on your journey.